Chapter Twelve of the Mayor of Casterbridge by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter Twelve. On entering his own door after watching his wife out of sight, the mayor walked on through the tunnel-shaped passage into the garden, and thence by the back door towards the stores and granaries. A light shone from the office window, and there being no blind to screen the interior, Henchard could see Donald Farfrae still seated where he had left him, initiating himself into the managerial work of the house by overhauling the books henchard entered merely observing don't let me interrupt you if you will stay so late he stood behind farfrae's chair watching his dexterity in clearing up the numerical fogs which had been allowed to grow so thick in henchard's books as almost to baffle even the scotchman's perspicacity the corn factor's mien was half admiring and yet it was not without a dash of pity for the tastes of any one who could care to give his mind to such finikin details. Henchard himself was mentally and physically unfit for grubbing subtleties from soiled paper. He had in a modern sense received the education of Achilles, and found penmanship a tantalizing art. "'You shall do no more to-night,' he said at length, spreading his great hand over the paper. There's time enough to-morrow. Come indoors with me and have some supper. Now you shall. I am determined on it. He shut the account-books with friendly force. Donald had wished to get to his lodgings, but he already saw that his friend and employer was a man who knew no moderation in his requests and impulses, and he yielded gracefully. He liked Henchard's warmth, even if it inconvenienced him the great difference in their characters adding to the liking. They locked up the office, and the young man followed his companion through the private little door, which, admitting directly into Henchard's garden, permitted a passage from the utilitarian to the beautiful at one step. The garden was silent, dewy, and full of perfume. It extended a long way back from the house, first as lawn and flower-beds, then as fruit-garden where the long-tied espaliers, as old as the old house itself, had grown so stout and cramped and gnarled that they had pulled their stakes out of the ground and stood distorted and writhing in vegetable agony, like leafy laocoans. The flowers which smelt so sweetly were not discernible, and they passed through them into the house. The hospitalities of the morning were repeated, and when they were over, Henchard said, pull your chair round to the fireplace my dear fellow and let's make a blaze there's nothing i hate like a black grate even in september he applied a light to the laid-in fuel and a cheerful radiance spread around it is odd said henchard that two men should meet as we have done on a purely business ground and that at the end of the first day i should wish to speak to you on a family matter but damn it all i am a lonely man farfrae i have nobody else to speak to and why shouldn't i tell it to ye i'll be glad to hear it if i can be of any service said donald allowing his eyes to travel over the intricate wood carvings of the chimney-piece representing garlanded lyres shields and quivers on either side of a draped ox-skull and flanked by heads of apollo and diana in low relief I've not been always what I am now. 
continued henchard his firm deep voice being ever so little shaken he was plainly under that strange influence which sometimes prompts men to confide to the new-found friend what they will not tell to the old i began life as a working hay-trusser and when i was eighteen i married on the strength of my calling would you think me a married man i heard in the town that you were a widower ah yes you would naturally have heard that well i lost my wife nineteen years ago or so by my own fault this is how it came about one summer evening i was travelling for employment and she was walking at my side carrying the baby our only child we came to a booth in a country fair i was a drinking man at that time henchard paused a moment threw himself back so that his elbow rested on the table his forehead being shaded by his hand which however did not hide the marks of introspective inflexibility on his features as he narrated in fullest detail the incidents of the transaction with the sailor the tinge of indifference which had at first been visible in the scotchman now disappeared henchard went on to describe his attempts to find his wife the oath he swore the solitary life he led during the years which followed i have kept my oath for nineteen years he went on i have risen to what you see me now ay well no wife could i hear of in all that time and being by nature something of a woman-hater i have found it no hardship to keep mostly at a distance from the sex no wife could i hear of i say till this very day and now she has come back come back has she this morning this very morning and what's to be done can ye no take her and live with her and make some amends that's what i've planned and proposed but farfrae said henchard gloomily by doing right with susan i wrong another innocent woman you don't say that in the nature of things farfrae it is almost impossible that a man of my sort should have the good fortune to tide through twenty years a life without making more blunders than one it has been my custom for many years to run across to jersey in the way of business particularly in the potato and root season i do a large trade with them in that line well one autumn when stopping there i fell quite ill and in my illness i sank into one of those gloomy fits i sometimes suffer from on account of the loneliness of my domestic life when the world seems to have the blackness of hell and like job i could curse the day that gave me birth ah now i never feel like it said farfrae then pray to god that you never may young man while in this state i was taken pity on by a woman a young lady i should call her for she was of good family well-bred and well-educated the daughter of some harem scarum military officer who had got into difficulties and had his pay sequestrated he was dead now and her mother too and she was as lonely as i this young creature was staying at the boarding-house where i happened to have my lodging and when i was pulled down she took upon herself to nurse me from that she got to have a foolish liking for me heaven knows why for i wasn't worth it but being together in the same house and her feeling warm we got naturally intimate i won't go into particulars of what our relations were it is enough to say that we honestly meant to marry 
there arose a scandal which did me no harm but was of course ruin to her though far fray between you and me as man and man i solemnly declare that philandering with womankind has neither been my vice nor my virtue she was terribly careless of appearances and i was perhaps more because of my dreary state and it was through this that the scandal arose at last i was well and came away when i was gone she suffered much on my account and didn't forget to tell me so in letters one after another till latterly i felt i owed her something and thought that as i had not heard of susan for so long i would make this other one the only return i could make and ask her if she would run the risk of susan being alive very slight as i believed and marry me such as i was she jumped for joy and we should no doubt soon have been married but behold susan appears donald showed his deep concern at a complication so far beyond the degree of his simple experiences now see what injury a man may cause around him even after that wrong-doing at the fair when i was young if i had never been so selfish as to let this giddy girl devote herself to me over at jersey to the injury of her name all might now be well yet as it stands i must bitterly disappoint one of these women and it is the second my first duty is to susan there's no doubt about that they are both in a very melancholy position and that's true murmured donald they are for myself i don't care twill all end one way but these two henchard paused in reverie i feel i should like to treat the second no less than the first as kindly as a man can in such a case ah well it cannot be helped said the other with philosophic woefulness you mun write to the young lady and in your letter you must put it plain and honest that it turns out she cannot be your wife the first having come back that she cannot see her more and that ye wish her weel that won't do odd sees it i must do a little more than that i must though she did always brag about her rich uncle or rich aunt and her expectations from him i must send a useful sum of money to her i suppose just as a little recompense poor girl now will you help me in this and draw up an explanation to her of all i've told ye breaking it as gently as you can i'm so bad at letters and i will now i haven't told you quite all yet my wife susan has my daughter with her the baby that was in her arms at the fair and this girl knows nothing of me beyond that i am some sort of relation by marriage she has grown up in the belief that the sailor to whom i made over her mother and who is now dead was her father and her mother's husband what her mother has always felt she and i together feel now that we can't proclaim our disgrace to the girl by letting her know the truth now what would you do i want your advice i think i'd run the risk and tell her the truth she'll forgive ye both never said henchard i am not going to let her know the truth her mother and i be going to marry again and it will not only help us to keep our child's respect but it will be more proper susan looks upon herself as the sailor's widow and won't think of living with me as formerly without another religious ceremony and she's right farfrae thereupon said no more 
the letter to the young jersey woman was carefully framed by him and the interview ended henchard saying as the scotchman left i feel it a great relief farfrae to tell some friend of this you see now that the mayor of casterbridge is not so thriving in his mind as it seems he might be from the state of his pocket i do and i'm sorry for ye said farfrae when he was gone henchard copied the letter and enclosing a cheque took it to the post-office from which he walked back thoughtfully can it be that it will go off so easily he said poor thing god knows now then to make amends to susan End of chapter 12